A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And this episode, which is part two of the mini-series on the Dafyaimi and the Siyam Hashas, the history of the Dafyaimi and the Siyam Hashas. So this uh, mini-series has been generously sponsored by MediQuipped, there to provide you or your loved one with a custom motorized wheelchair at home or at a facility that is completely covered by insurance. Call 845-237-2381 or email info at metequipped.com. Tell them that Yehuda from Jewish History Soundbite sent you, and then you can help support the great work of Jewish History Soundbites. And in that context, uh, it's worth mentioning that you can submit names, Lili Nishmas in memory of a loved one, businesses, sponsorships. You can email me at ygebss at gmail.com for details. So we're moving into part two. We talked about last time how um, the Dafiyami, there are different candidates uh, about the founding of the Dafiyami, and there are many worthy uh, stories of, of other people's involvement, but ultimately the one who really made it happen was Ramey Shapiro. Um, the great, uh, later became the Rosh Hashiva of Yeshiva's Chachmi Lublin, also the Rav of, of Lublin, and he, his name is eternally associated with the movement that he founded of the Dafyaimi. In fact, you can argue that it was more successful than some of his other projects, although that uh, the, the influence uh, through his other projects, such as the Yeshiva, wasn't in, in an indirect way, excuse me, in an indirect way, is uh, is still felt today. But the Dafyaimi is a very direct uh, influence because it just increases with time and the movement just keeps growing and growing and growing and it's uh, definitely um, attributed back to his uh, efforts. So in order to understand a little bit about how Rameir Shapiro came to found the Dafyaimi, it's worth delving just for a little bit into who was Rameir Shapiro to get a little bit of the context to understand who he was and how he came to to found this movement. How did why him and why at that time? What was the world that he lived in? What was going on in the Jewish people at that time? So a little bit into his background. He was born in a little town today in Romania, 
then in the southern parts of Galicia, a town called Schatz, which no one would have ever heard of, but today the Schatz Rebbe in, uh, in London, buried in London, is a very popular um, site to visit. There's a kever, a tzaddik, a daven, and therefore everyone heard of the Schatz Rebbe. So he was the rub of the town uh, when Romeo Shapiro grew up there in the, in the town of Schatz. I think I mentioned that on part one as well. He's a miyuchis Romeo Shapiro from the big Shapiro family, and he, he, a descendant of the Megala Amukis from Nasanata Shapiro of Krakow. He's a descendant of Rapinchas of Koritz, one of the Talmidim of the Baal Shem Tev. And he's from a prestigious rabbinic family, and he's also quite a smart fellow and studious. He's a Talmud Chacham at a young age. He gets smicha from the Maharsham, uh, one of the greatest uh, paiskim and uh, and the rabbis and leaders of Galicia Jewry in the later part of the of the twenty of the nineteenth century. Excuse me. So he's he's a somebody at a very young age already. He comes from a family of chart kever Hasidim, and he actually has he enjoys a very close. Um, almost intimate relationship with the the uh, Chartkover Rebbe. He asks advice about everything, and the Chartkover Rebbe supports him in all his endeavors. And in the Chachmei Lublin, Chartkover Rebbe came from Vienna for both the the um, groundbreaking ceremony and then the uh, Chanukah Sabais, the dedication ceremony of the yeshiva. And he he was involved in many of the projects of Meir Shapiro. They, the two of them were very, very close. Meir Shapiro obviously, obviously was much younger than his Rebbe. And, and, um, and he, he had that background. So he becomes a Rav at a young age. And where does he become Rav? In, in a small, small little towns in, in Galicia, in Glina and Sanok. He later becomes a Rav in Piotrkov which already is in what's known as, has several names. At that time, it was already called Independent Poland of the interwar era, but that area of Poland was historically known as either Congress Poland or the former Central Poland or the Kingdom of Poland, but Kingdom of Poland actually had much larger borders. And it was a big chiddish for a large town in Congress Poland to take a rabbi from Galicia. Some sources even say it was the first time that it ever happened. I'm not 100% convinced that it was the first time it happened, but it definitely was rare, and it was big news, because it, it, it made the news. And that also attests to his standing at a young age. And everything that he did in his entire life was at a young age, because he died when he was 46. Very tragically, died young, without children, at the age of 46. So everything he did was young. And he becomes the rub of a prestigious town, in uh, in central Poland at a young age. In fact, I interviewed someone uh, um, not long ago, two years ago, who knew Romero Shapiro, and he was 102 when I interviewed him. And uh, and he said, I asked him where he knew Romero Shapiro from. Did he know him from Lublin? And he said, no, I knew him from Piatrikos. And I understood what does it mean for someone to be 102. And I, I said to him, so tell me something about his time in Piotrkov. So he said that, uh, that the, the town needed a new, a new mikveh. And why? The mikveh was kosher, but Romero Shapiro being the, and again, this is a, the first insight through a story that we'll get to who, what type of person Romero Shapiro was. A tremendous visionary, 
on one hand and a tremendous doer on the other hand. That's the best way to summarize him. To summarize his actions, we could say that his great two great acts were what he called his two children, because he didn't have any biological children, which was Yeshiva's Chachmin on one hand and the Dafyaimi on the other hand. But if we summarize, that's his, that's, that's his, uh, his legacy, his actions. But if we would summarize who he was and how he, what his, what his way of life and way of thinking was, is that he was a visionary and a doer. He was a thought out of the box. He was an initiator. He was a man of action. He always wanted to do more. And this story that I'm about to say in Piotrkov really brings it out. And again, he's, he's quite young when this happens. He decides that the mikveh needs to be redone, not because the mikveh is not kosher, the mikveh is kosher, but it needs to be renovated, it needs to be fancy, it needs to be nice, because we're living in a modern era, this is the 1920s, and many women are not going to go to the mikveh unless it's a modern facility, unless it's a, a, a beautiful modern building that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's okay, that people feel comfortable coming to, not the old-fashioned mikvahs of the shtetl. So he needs to fundraise. So he goes to the rich Hasidim in Piotrkov, and he asks them, he needs 30,000 zloty. And they say, Rabbi, is the mikvah kosher? They say, he says the mikvah's kosher. He says, our wives go to the mikvah, the mikvah's kosher. There's no reason to donate money, so they don't give him money. So he goes to the kahal, the official Jewish community. But the official Jewish community is controlled, like most cities of Poland in the interwar era, was controlled by the Bund, the Jewish socialists who were anti-religious. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't, uh, see, he tried to get them to convince, uh, to go to, the, to build a mikvah, and they weren't that excited about building a mikvah, old-fashioned, uh, belongs to the past, uh, you don't need to do these things anymore today. And they weren't interested in giving the money, and they had the money. The kahal takes taxes from the Jewish community. So Ramey Shapiro came up with a plan, and this is is how he knew how to deal with people. He was a master people person, very good people skills. And he says to them, you're socialists, right? You care for the workers, for the laborers, for the common man. Well, let me ask you something. How many Jews in Piotrkov have a shower or bath in their private homes? And they said, not many, only the very rich have. And he so he says, okay, is there a public bathhouse that the Jewish community uses or can use, that the common man, that the workers who don't have one in their house, that they can uh, they can utilize the services of a public bathhouse. D- does that exist in Piotrkov? And they said, no, it does not exist. So he says, you guys are kapitalistin. You guys are a bunch of capitalists. You only care for the rich. You don't build a bathhouse for the poor, for the workers, for the laborers, for the factory uh, workers. You should build a, uh, you, you sh- you're a bunch of capitalists. You call yourself socialists. And they said, okay, Rabbi, you're right. How much money do you need for the bathhouse? He said, 30,000 zloty. And he supervised the building of the bathhouse and he made sure that it would comply with the halachic parameters, that it would be a kosher mikveh as well. So that's the type of person he was even when he was writing Piotrkov. When he initiates the idea of the Dafyami, he's not even yet a rabbi in Priyachikov. When he initiates the idea of the Chachmiel Bloom, which takes place at the exact same Knesset Gadayla, also he is not yet even a rabbi there. He's a small uh, town rabbi uh, and very young. He's 36 years old. And he attends the Knesset Gadayla of Agudas Yisrael in Vienna, which was a great gathering 
Um, the first great gathering of its kind. There were other rabbinical gatherings previously in the Russian Empire. There were several rabbinical gatherings in 1910, and 1800s, and other times. There was a rabbinical gathering in Vilna in 1909. There was a rabbinical gathering in Krakow in 1903. But the uh, the Knesset Gedaila in in uh, Avagodis Yisro. In, um, in 1923, was a very impressive event. And of course, today everyone's already seen the video of the Chavetz Chaim. You don't have Rameir Shapiro on that video, unfortunately. But um, as far as I know, if uh, someone knows otherwise, then, uh, then that would you know, be taken I could take another look at it. And, uh, and, and, he, and he goes up there and he announces that they plan to start the Dafyaimi. Now, the way the story goes is that that he spoke about the Dafyaimi by one of the committee sessions, not by a public session first. And he suggested it to the elder Rebbes and Rashi Yeshiva and Sadiqim and rabbis who were there. And he said, well, you know, it's not about me, it's, it's, it's about the, the ideal. So one of you should suggest it. And because who am I? Why would they listen to me? And uh, and uh, apparently the Chavetz Chaim was very impressed with the idea. He was amazed by it. He even said that now Masechtas that never get learned, such as Maseches Nazir, I don't know why the Chavetz Chaim picked Nazir, but that's what the Chavetz Chaim said, such as Maseches Nazir, Masechtas that don't ever get learned, will also get learned. And the Chavetz Chaim said, don't worry, we'll make sure that people accept your idea. But listen to me, come in to the room, to announce it, to speak, come in last. And and he didn't know why the Chavetz Chaim said that, but the Chavetz Chaim, when Rameir Shapiro came in, he stood up. Now if the Chavetz Chaim stands up, so everyone else on the dais stands up. And if everyone on the, the, the main, uh, all the rabbis are standing up in the center part of the hall, so all the delegates uh, sitting in the crowd also stood up. And then when he gets up to announce both his idea of the Dafyaimi and Yeshivas Chachmei Lublin, there's a very receptive audience because people are are very impressed with who who this who this man is and what his message is. He's also a very dynamic speaker, a very powerful speaker, and uh, he he knew how to sell the point well. And he says in that initial speech, which was published in all the newspapers, and these all exist in archives and all online archives, the actual text of the speech, pretty much. Um, I don't know if it's word for word, but the, the the summary of it, the gist of it, is there that he says that uh, that that just imagine how much unity this could bring to the Jewish people if you open up a Gemara. A Gemara is unity over history. The Mishnah is written in Eretz Yisrael. The Gemara is written in Bavel. The Rif is written in Morocco and Spain. The Rush is written in Germany and Spain. The Balitaisis are written in France. Rashi is written in France. Some of the Balitaisis in Germany. The Marsha, the Maram, the Marshal are written in Poland. And so on and so forth. You keep on going and the Gemara is a unifying, the Shas is a unifying force in the Jewish people's history and destiny. So it could therefore be also that way in the present. And therefore, it's, uh, it would be a wonderful idea if everyone got together and everyone's learning the same blot. And this way, when you're going on business and you're learning on the train, you're learning your blot Gemara, and you're having, you didn't get to finish, you have a few 
you know, questions about how to, to, that you need to clarify, and you get off the train and you're in a totally different country, and you come to Davin Mincha at the local shul. In the local shul, it's a different country, they speak a different language, they look different, the Jews there, than, than you do back home in Poland and Galicia. And sure enough, you walk into the base Medrash before Mincha, and there's a group of Jews learning Gemara. And you take a look over their shoulders, and what are they learning? The exact same daf that you're studying. And this Rabbi Shapiro felt would do much for the Jewish people. It would bring them together, and, uh, and the same way it brings them together through history, on the blot, on the page of the Gemara, it would also bring them together in, uh, in, their, in the present day and time, which he felt was a much needed, uh, needed which is very necessary. Now, uh, another, another aspect of it, of how much he attached importance to the Dafyaimi. In the Yeshiva's Chachmei Lublin, when he built it, on the two corners of the building, and today I point to the two corners of the building, which they, today they went to the groups, when I bring them on the trips there, almost every trip ends up in Lublin at some point. It's a very popular spot, and they've redone the Yeshiva, they've refurbished it. And, uh, but the, the, and so it does say that it's the Yeshiva's Chachmi Lublin of Rameir Shapiro. It says that on the front of the building. But on the two corners of the building, what it used to say was the dates of the groundbreaking and the date of the Chanukah Sabayas, of the dedication of the building. And underneath the date, Rameir Shapiro wrote the daf of that day. Again, you see on the old pictures of the building, you could actually see it as Vachim, uh, whatever it is, for one date and, and some other uh, dafa, the other date, who was emblazoned on the building, because in Rameir Shapiro's mind, the date is the day of the daf. That is the identity of each day. How do I define a day? From here on in, we define a day by what daf it is that day. You know, Rameir Shapiro, when he dedicated Yeshiva's Chachmi Lublin, and it was around the same time as the first Siyam Ashas, which I'll hopefully speak about in the part three of this mini-series, but he also was appointed the rabbi of Lublin. He was a man of, of so many talents and so many, so so much energy. He was a Rav in many towns and eventually of a big city of Lublin. He was actually hired to become the Rav in Lodz at the end of his life, but he didn't make it. He died before. He was the representative of Agudis Yisrael in the Polish parliament, in the Siem, which is also something impressive. He spoke a beautiful Polish, and he gave speeches in the Siem. It also means that the Ger Rebbe, who ran the Aguda in Poland, he trusted a Chartkever Chassid from Galicia to be to run at the top of the list, which is also not something to be taken for granted. He didn't take. Uh, he took also Ger Chassidim, but he didn't take only Ger Chassidim. He took uh, Ramir Shapiro as well. Ramir Shapiro was a writer. Ramir Shapiro spent years fundraising for Yeshivas Chachmei Lublin. Now he utilized his trips to uh, to fundraise to also spread the idea of the Dafyaimi. He's on the road and in all over Poland and in Germany and in other parts of Western Europe. He spent, I think, about a year, maybe even more, uh, in the United States. And here he's fundraising for the yeshiva and for some other projects that he had. But he the the Dafyaimi he was doing L'shem Shemaim. He wasn't fundraising for the Dafyaimi. He didn't need money for that. He went and would give speeches about the Dafyaimi. That was his true love. He didn't need it for the it wasn't for his money or for his covet or for anything else, is because he believed in the cause. And he literally went on a campaign, on a on a crusade to spread the idea 
across the United States at the time even, in places like that, where where many people wouldn't see, wouldn't envision, but he had a vision that knew no limits. And uh, he encapsulated that vision in the story that he told when he was appointed the chief rabbi of Lublin around the same time that the yeshiva opened up. He's with the, the custom, the age-old custom for hundreds of years of the Jewish community of Lublin was that when a new rabbi was appointed, he would speak his first initial speech in the Marshal's shul. Marshal is an old shul in Lublin, which we also go to uh, occasionally on our trips and uh, where it was. And um, and and the Marshal, the great Rishlaim Aluria, one of the earliest Achreinim, the same time as the Ramah, who was the Rosh Yeshiva of the first yeshiva in Lublin that his Rebbe, Reb Shalom Shachna, had started and was buried not far from him in the Lublin Cemetery. And this was a old historic shul, and every new rabbi had to speak in that shul. So the Mayor Shapiro is giving his first speech in that shul, and he says that it says a pasuk in Mishlei, Don't stand in the place where G'daylim, it's their place. So he said, how can I stand in the place of the marshal? The marshal stood here. How, who am I to stand in the place of the marshal? So he said, I'm going to explain to you how I'm able to stand here. Because tamayid doesn't mean that you can't stand there. Tamayid means don't stay stationary. There's a pasuk in the Navi that says that, um, that, that a malach is an oimeid. He stands, he's stationary. But a human being is a mahalech. He goes, he can accomplish, he can do, he can grow, he can influence, he can initiate. And because he's a mahalach, he's not an oimed. So Mary Shapiro said, that's what it means. In the place of great ones, don't stand still. You're in the place, you're standing in the place of great people. You should always do, you should always accomplish, you should always have an endless vision and always want to do more and always want to accomplish more. And that's really, really personifies who he was. He always wanted to do more. He was someone who understood the modern world. He, he knew how to deal with politics and the media. He would call press conferences by Yeshivas Chachmi Lublin at the different stages of the building and bring them down and take pictures and market it and, and brand it. And he, he, he was a genius at, at understanding and dealing with the modern world, a bit of a revolutionary in his educational philosophy and how he wanted the Yeshiva and Chachmi Lublin to be. And there was the first yeshiva with a dining room, with a dorm, with a mikveh in the basement. And, uh, and in, in all his different various projects, it was a, a, um, a major, he always was, was doing. And the same went for the Dafyam, once was actually fundraising um, for, for the yeshiva in Lodz. And there was, you know, like there, are, there is in every era, there's always people who say, eh, he's, uh, he's, he's, what is it he's t- t- raising all his money for? Maybe he's pocketing some of it. He's fundraising. We want transparency. How much is he keeping for himself? People were saying that. There was rumors going around like that. So he decided to address it publicly. So he said, my friends, I don't have any children. My two children are the Dafyaimi and Yeshivas Chachmi Lublin. And... There's no reason for me to take money. Why would I take it? I don't. I don't need it. I don't have any children. I, I'm doing this. He, then he like screamed. He said, "I'm not doing it for my kids, which I don't have. 
Ich tut das für dein Kinder. I'm doing this for your children. And that goes both for the Yeshivas Chachmei that he was fundraising for, but it also goes for the Dafyaimi that that was his vision, um, and that is really his his central legacy, which continues till today. And that's a little bit about the founding. We'll talk in the next episode of the history of the Siam Hashas and how the movement spreads. There was a certain amount of opposition to the movement also. We'll cover in the third episode. And we'll speak about how the Siam Hashas developed until this very day. So that's coming up in episode three. So stay tuned. This episode has been generously sponsored by MedEquipped, there to provide you or your loved one with a custom motorized wheelchair at home or at a facility that is completely covered by insurance. Call 845-237-2381 or email info at MedEquipped.com. Tell them that Yehuda sent you from Jewish History Soundbites and you can help support the great work of Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, trips, and tours, and sponsorships. And you can subscribe now to Jewish History Soundbites at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. And follow us on Twitter at jsoundbites. And I hope you enjoyed.